Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers. I'm Matt Bizzell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And this is episode 6 or number 95 on AFI's top 100 list. A little movie called The Last Picture Show, 1971. Yes, set in your home state of Texas. Home state of Texas. At the end of last episode, I had said it was it was set in East Texas because that's what Amazon had told me. It is totally not. It's in Anarene, Texas, south of Wichita Falls. That is super north and west Texas. It is nowhere near East Texas. I'm sorry. I apologize, East Texas. <laughs> Proof that I, I, too, make mistakes. No, now we are on to our, our next set of five movies. Yeah. We've, been, we've barreled through our first five. And now we are on to the next five before we have our super duper countdown mashup. This movie, 1971, as I mentioned, but it's filmed in black and white. Yes. It does not look like it's from 1971. Right. For thematic reasons, they did that, but also, I guess, some uh, historical reasons. Only only real art is filmed in black and white. I see. This is something I have to learn. <laughs> yeah, this movie is um, supposed to take place in 1951. And 52. It and goes 52. 52. You're right. But that's where it starts, 51. We hear some talk about Korea, which we know after World War II. Basic history there. <laughs> yes. So what are your initial impressions of this movie? Oh, Matt, I loved this movie. You loved this movie? <laughs> I loved this movie. Maybe if you gave us a plot summary, we could sort of suss out what's going on here. Yes, I will do such a thing. Adapted from Larry McMurtry's 1966 novel, The Last Picture Show is the coming-of-age story of Sonny Crawford, a high school senior in early 1950s Texas. Sonny, who is enamored of his best friend Dwayne's girlfriend, J.C., spends his time hanging around the diner, pool hall, and movie theater, which are all owned by Sam the Lion. He's not really a lion. That's his nickname. Sonny starts an affair with his coach's wife, JC attends a naked pool party and begins using Dwayne to lose her virginity. And one night, Sam and his friends take their developmentally challenged and mute friend, Billy, to a prostitute to lose his virginity for fun. He prematurely ejaculates, and she punches him in the face. Consequently, Sam the Lion bars them from all of his establishments, the diner, the pool hall, and the movie theater. Later, Sam catches Sonny in his cafe, but allows him to stay after he sees that Sonny truly is sorry and cares about Billy. So Sonny and Dwayne then decide to plan an impromptu trip to Mexico. Sam gives them some cash, but on their return, they find out that Sam has died of a stroke, and he's left Sonny, the pool hall, and a couple other things that are less important than that. JC dumps Dwayne, over the phone uh, after they have sex, but soon finds out that the boys she'd been chasing after are all married. So Dwayne leaves town and JC sleeps with her mother's lover and then begins courting Sonny out of boredom. He stops seeing Ruth, which was the coach's wife, who's significantly older than him, by the way, and when Dwayne discovers that JC and Sonny have been dating, they fight, and he injures Sonny's eye with a beer bottle. He smashes it in his face. JC convinces Sonny shortly afterwards to elope with her, but leaves a note for her parents, who send the police after them. They never even have a wedding night. Dwayne comes back to town, revealing that he's going to fight in Korea. He and Sonny make up, and just after he leaves, Billy is hit and killed by a truck in the street. Um, he's sweeping. So Sonny goes back to Ruth, 
who, after giving him a piece of her mind, takes his hand as the film ends. So a lot happens is a the impression happens. I'm given. Yeah, it's yes. not a short movie, two hours, a little over two hours. Yeah. And and to be clear that, that uh, all of those things happen over that two-year period. It's not one right after the other. It's, it's sort of stretched out. Right, but a few of them are kind of right after another. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I want to do next is actually play for you the pivotal scene because I think this yeah. will help us with thematics and trying to understand this movie and take it apart a little bit better so right. i will fess up and say that the pivotal scene i actually took from a mr roger ebert and oh. he made the pivotal scene uh with sam and billy and sunny at the tank where they're fishing uh, fishing yes. and i'm making air quotes no one can see them so i'll go ahead and play that now i don't think there's anything in this tank except turtles that's what i like about it tell you the truth Want to try one? Sure. I never liked to clean fish or eat them either. Spend half your time picking out bones. Yeah, just come out here to get a little scenery. Too pretty a day to spend in town. You wouldn't believe how this country's changed. First time I seen it, there wasn't a mesquite tree on it. Or a prickly pear neither. I used to own this land, you know. First time I watered a horse at this tank was more than 40 years ago. I reckon the reason why I always drag you out here is probably I'm just as sentimental as the next fella when it comes to old times. Old times. I brought a young lady swimming out here once, more than 20 years ago. It was after my wife had lost her mind, my boys was dead. Me and this young lady was pretty wild, I guess, and pretty deep. We used to come out here horseback and go swimming without no bathing suits. One day she wanted to swim the horses across this tank. Kind of a crazy thing to do, but we'd done it anyway. She bet me a silver dollar she could beat me across. She did. This old horse I was riding didn't want to take the water. But she was always looking for something to do like that. Something wild. I bet she still got that silver dollar. Whatever happened to her? Oh, she growed up. She was just a girl then, really. Here, let me help you then. Why didn't you ever marry her after your wife died? She was already married. Her and her husband was young and miserable with one another, like so many young married folks are. I thought they'd change with some age, but it didn't turn out that way. Being married always so miserable? No, not really. About 80% of the time, I guess. 
We ought to go to a real fishing tank next year. I don't need to think about things like that too much. If she was here, I'd probably be just as crazy now as I was then in about five minutes. Isn't that ridiculous? No, it ain't really. Because being crazy about a woman like her is always the right thing to do. <laughs> being a decrepit old bag of bones, that's what's ridiculous. Getting old. Okay, I think that really sets the tone for the movie, even though it's it's a, it's actually just about halfway through the film. Yeah. And it talks about growing old, decrepitude, finitude, right? So we're all going to die, mm-hmm. including something like the town. And there's this railing against that fact through a wildness or a sexuality. So I want to present the yeah. first theme, actually, in that sexuality which is usually a way to procreate and you know be the genesis of things for new beginnings. It's the spring of life. It is, in this sense, at the dying gasp of this town, Anarene, it is actually something that is just deferring that complete yeah. dissolution of this small town life. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think this is a film that is all about endings and all about sex in in a really sort of visceral way and you're right this is not a film about i mean it's not a traditional comedy where you get married and have a baby at the end no the sex that is happening ends relationships definitely right it's also non-procreative sex because well i mean i'm sure ruth popper the coach's wife sunny is having an affair with her she probably could still have a child at her age she's only 40 is what we're told in the movie yeah but it doesn't seem to be this is not procreative sex and no in, she's in not about cases. to have a baby no way right I mean, exactly so this sex is well despite being incredibly intermingled how many people yeah. how many characters have sex with the same person throughout this movie well even jc has sex with abilene which is her mother's lover yeah um and her mother is married her mother is married for of course yeah everyone here is in a relationship and they all cheat on everyone and it's just this a lot of infidelity big old infidelity circus well and there's a line at the beginning of the of the film where jc's mother goes into her bedroom and is like have you slept with him yet and she's like mother um and she's like you need to go to the doctor and get some you know something for that she's like you don't need any babies yeah uh, and that's really early on right so and there's all these talks about there's a little bit of emotion toward premarital sex is a sin that a few characters right. say immediately so is it it's joe bob the preacher's son that says that yeah. and then jc also says that and then of course no one actually listens to that advice at least 30 minutes into the movie right well J- JC is such an interesting character, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's talk about a couple of themes. I think lost innocence and how that changes people is, and this is a good segue actually. So lost innocence and how it changes you. Uh, JC is a really interesting character to think about that because she actively seeks to lose her innocence after that initial scene with her mother. Well, it's not, it doesn't really come to a head until she attends that nude swimming party and lies to Dwayne and goes with Lester for reasons that are inscrutable to me, but then meets that, I suppose, I guess he's attractive, attractive man there. Mm -hmm. And he's only in like 45 seconds of the movie, but he walks, they, then there's another scene where she's with Lester and he's fumbling with her 
her blouse and she's like it's a good thing i wasn't on fire because i would have died right. and then she walks in the kitchen and he like totally says like hey you're pretty hot oh you're a virgin yeah no come back when you're not a virgin he literally says come back when you're not yeah <laughs> well and i think what what happens is that that scene with her mother i think is just changes her because she seems shocked initially and her mother's like just get it over with be done with it and that does not end well for her she becomes a not very pleasant person after that well it's almost like she's taking her mother's advice in order not to become her mother yeah which then leads her to become her mother yeah although her mother seems a lot more pleasant than she is initially she doesn't but there is like a shift there and definitely becomes the more pleasant one and once you find out that her mother had been sam the lion's paramour for a while she's you know she becomes a sympathetic character right to make that explicit that's actually what that's actually who sam is talking about in that pivotal scene we just played yeah he's talking about jc's mother yes but we don't know that it's not that's not made explicit until the very end well it's it's not made explicit till the end but at the funeral she runs away yeah. crying and it's pretty clear yeah. that that's the case can we talk more about jc for a bit yes let's what would you like to say she's inscrutable to me and the reason for this is <laughs> Dwayne, yeah, he is a bit of a commoner if we're going to, like, antiquate our terms here. Right. And he's a roughneck, literally. I mean, that's his job. But he makes okay money, and her father works in oil as well, but he obviously is far more wealthy than Dwayne is. Yeah, he's her dad's the boss. Yeah, so she's with him, and he saves up six months of his pay to buy her a watch, which he then immediately ruins at this wedding party. After yeah. lying to him, saying her mother is making her go with Lester, she goes right. with Lester, gets naked in front of everybody, and starts becoming a deviant in what we would expect of her character initially, from what we had learned of her right. at first. But none of that makes a lot of sense to me. What is Lester presenting that Dwayne doesn't? I understand the dark allure of this stranger, this sexy stranger, this very minor character that shows up, but I don't understand why the ship to Lester and why so money. soon. Is it money? Is I, he more wealthy? I think it's money. It's because though all those people are wealthy that go that are in Wichita Springs or Wichita, whatever it is, and her mother says, "Don't stop dating Dwayne. You'll never make. He won't. He won't be rich." And so, and she also says, "Like, drop your panties already and, and do it. Just have sex." And so I think it's a culmination of, of that bad advice. But her father is is wealthy. And that's what I read a review and they had talked about whoever marries JC, she's beautiful and wealthy, you're set for life. So why is mm-hmm. JC taking upon herself to go out and like black widow people? I think she just becomes a bad person. I think she loses her she's actively trying to lose her innocence and I think the point of her character is to say like if you try to lose your innocence if you try to grow up too fast, you will, you, you're, you become this sort of despicable person. Because she is pretty despicable. I mean, she's just bored and playing people. Yeah, let's put this back into the theme of the movie where if JC is rushing to meet maturity or adulthood and running out of that age of innocence, she is running toward this finitude, right? So yes. this is a dying town and she's, she's rushing to meet that death, which is yeah. ill-advised, we could say. So the second thing I have difficulty with with JC is she convinces Sonny to marry her, but she also intends, it seems like, to get caught by the police. She leaves a note to basically clue her parents into their elopement. So why does she do that? 
I th- I think it's because once you once you've lost your innocence, there you're, there's nothing. She's bored. I mean, I think and I think boredom is an important part of this film, an important theme in this film. It's she's creating drama because there's nothing to do in this town. I mean, the the opening shot is is the empty streets with the wind blowing through, and that, which is you know it's the same ending shot. And so I think there's something to be said about you know. And then that links into to this idea of, of death and dying. Yeah, I actually, can I make a deviation here? My own deviation, yes. far different from JC's, and read you my thesis <laughs> statement because I yes. think it pertains to this. So I start with what is an approximate quote of Mark Twain. Small towns are small for a reason. And then I say, in my own words, chaos comes in the dying gasps of an industrial and cultural fallout in this small town of Anarene. We are seeing this small town in its own death throes, right? You were talking yeah. about death. We're talking about human death. We're also talking about the economic death of this town. It seems like it's being washed up. The picture house yeah. is closing. And why is it why is it closing? Well, one of the reasons it seems, besides Sam the Lion's death, is also because he seems to be the one that can push innovation, um, which is what Miss Mosey says. But also people have TV sets in their house now. Yeah, People stop coming to picture shows. So we have this economic growth that follows economic decay. There's tumult, and the result is chaos. And that's when we get all this infidelity, so much infidelity. There's a lot of infidelity. Yeah, and I think this, um, I didn't, I crafted a thesis statement, but I don't like it, so I'm not going to share it. But so what I'm going to do is originally what I wanted to do was to just use a quote from Lacey's mother. JC? Or JC's. So JC's mother says, everything gets old if you do it often enough. And I think that that is a loaded statement. I don't know if that's actually, I don't know if she's telling the truth. Um, and so I think that, I, in a lot of ways, encapsulates this movie. Everything gets old if you do it often enough, which it isn't always true, right? Um, uh, make, that, make that defense for me. So in my mind, well, obviously JC's mother is talking about the pedestal she's placed sex on, JC yeah, has definitely. herself. And her mother's like, ah, oh, honey, I've been there, done that with multiple men. And guess what? It's just sex. And in this sense, it is, right? Because they live in a, a dying town where the only thing that can stave off that sort of final gasp is this pointless sex that has that right. brief moment of um, ecstasy or euphoria, something like that. Right. So what can you do that doesn't get old? L- besides listen to this podcast. Well, right, of course. <laughs> um, love people. I mean, I think there's really, I think there's a lot of love in this movie as well that that doesn't get old, right? What's his name? Billy. Sonny really does love him, and Sonny really does love Sam the Lion, and Sam the Lion really did love Lacey's mom and Lacey. I, so I think that that's the thing. These these real relationships. And even between Dwayne and Sonny, even after they're falling out. Which, right, Dwayne brings up and says the only reason we got into it was because of JC. Because of JC, who is, is evil. She's, she's a piece of work, I'll tell you that. She is, and her, she's problematic. Yeah, I, so I think it's, it, on some level, yes, this is true, everything gets old if you do it often enough. But I think that's also a lie. And I think her mother's intentionally lying. Or that she just fails to recognize that... Something like love 
exists. She's speaking out of bitterness, out of having yes, lost. She's Mandalorian. speaking out of bitterness. Yes, definitely. So she may know the lie she's saying, but for her, it, it rings true because she was not able to retain that. Yeah, and she's presenting a coin, and she's presenting just one side of it. Yes, um, absolutely. But, no, but she knows that it's a coin, if that makes sense, if that metaphor follows. Yeah, it does. So she's very much aware that there's an alternative to her statement, but she's only giving yeah. JC, her daughter, one side of it because that is the side that she ultimately landed on. Yeah, I think so. I think I want to just take a second to look at the environment of the town itself. Oh, yeah. And just talk about how bleak and decayed. And listen, so I obviously live in Texas. <laughs> and there are so many towns like it. And there are so many people like it in those small towns. So I don't actually come from a small town. I come from one of the largest cities, uh, San Antonio. And I live in Houston now. So kind of never one for the countryside. The, sl- the smallest thing I've lived in has was College Station. And that's a big college town. Right, where, where Texas a and Yeah, where for... both Ethan and I attended for a period. But, I don't know, it's so bleak, and the black and white really drives that home. And oh, it intensifies it, absolutely, definitely. There's a lot of environmental storytelling here. I know we talked a lot about this in Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Mostly because that's all I could come away with. <laughs> but, what we see here, we have Sonny still wearing his high school letterman's jacket, which is mm-hmm. now a complete trope for you're living in the past. Yeah. And we have this old um, cinema house, this old theater. Yeah, I mean, all the all the storefronts, certainly. Right, they're all... Then they have to go to town for so many things. I think it's a dry city, because or town, because they have to yeah. drive up to Wichita Falls to get beer and things like that. Yeah. So it's very anachronistic in its own self. It's there, and it's decayed, and it's, there's tumbleweeds, literal tumbleweeds rolling literal around. Literal tumbleweeds. Um, and I think we have to talk to, if we're going to talk about uh, environmental storytelling, we have to talk about the cars. Okay. Because they drive around in that beater yeah, truck. Yeah, Sonny's beat up truck that you can actually see through. <laughs> yeah, and I've, and all these cars are all, you know, it, it, the, the cars place it immediately for someone like me. I'm a car guy, right? And so you've got these like early to late 40s, really early 50s cars. Lacey's parents drive around in a Cadillac. Dwayne comes back with uh, with an Oldsmobile, um, or is it a Buick? Is it a Buick or an Oldsmobile? I thought I said Mercury, but I'm. Or it's a Mercury. It's a I'm Mercury. not a right, car right, guy right. by any stretch of the term. You're right. All, all three of those are all linked together in me. Yeah, it's a Mercury. Um, so he comes back with this like really sharp Mercury. Her, her JC's mother. JC's a dumb name. I'm just gonna put. That well, it's there. a Texas. <laughs> it's it's obviously a very. It's no worse than Joe Bob or Bob Joe. <laughs> Right, yeah. But what is what is JC's mother's boyfriend's name? Abilene. Abilene. Another Texas town. Just, it's yeah. It sounds I, just like the town too. He drives around in some big. His car's got a big rumbling. V8. Right, which she can recognize from him pulling up when he actually pulled up with JC after. Uh, well, some more. I don't know if that's actually infidelity. Maybe because there's some contract between him and her mother that is sort of a breach well, of that relationship. Either way, it doesn't feel good because he uh, is sleeping with a married woman and her daughter. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty messed up. <laughs> and I actually, I have a question for you, Matt, that I should have asked before we started recording, but I'm going to put it out Ooh, here. Ooh, behind did, the scenes. That's, did you see, when you watched it, the version you watched, when they went to the pool house together, did you see them in the pool house? Yes. Okay, then, then you watch the director's cut uh, because that's what I watched as well. I just watched the one that Amazon offered. It just said 
last picture show. You're talking about where he like lays her down on the pool table and she's like gripping. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's from the director's cut. That was not originally in the, the film. Really? That was um, what went too far for them? Well, that was cut. Well, it was a time issue. They, it had to be like 119 minutes or something. And so that scene was cut. There's a little snippet of a scene where the, the little dog chases their car yeah. and they sing the, the thing in the, you know, they, they sing the fight song or whatever. Right. Um, and then something else. Those little scenes were cut. It was, but they was just for time. Speaking of things that had been cut for time, and not that they had ever actually, this was not even cut. It was never filmed due to time. The reason that Sonny has the affair with Ruth Popper, the coach's wife, the reason yes. that Ruth, so actually, Cloris Leachman says the reason that happens, the reason she's unhappy in her marriage, is that the coach is actually gay. Oh. And there's a scene in which he, it's heavily indicated that he's having his own affair with the high school quarterback. Oh, they cut that. Oh, maybe that's in the novel too then. Yeah, maybe. I have never read the novel. Uh, but Oh, I wish that had been in the film because then I would have not felt so awful about it. It's like Ben-Hur all over again. Oh, it is. Oh, what a great thing. I, I like that interpretation of the story instead of him just being a fat slob. Right, that just yells at children. But he's a very Texas coach, for the record. He's very much a figure that has existed in my life. Yeah, I believe it. The Texas apologist here. Um, yeah, sorry, guys. Sorry, Texas. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we were going off on all sorts of tangents, but I think what we can do now is talk about our three questions. Yeah, let's do but that. Before that, I think the last thing I wanted to say about the thematizing of the town itself was yes oh that's what was billy about. sweeping nothing right he just sweeps yes, yeah which so he he accomplishes nothing and it's very like faulknerian if that's mm -hmm. if we can even say if we can make that a thing yeah i think we can billy's out there sweeping and he accomplishes nothing it ultimately leads to his death right because he's hit because he's just out in the street sweeping, sweeping which is where sweeping we find dust. him in the first at the beginning of the movie yes and so that kind of encapsulates the town Yes, and it's it, that structure is very simple. They're moving the right? dust around. That's all they're doing. Exactly. That literally is all they're doing. Their lives mean nothing. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to leave anything behind, really. Everything's falling, everything's falling apart. Everything's decaying. Even their vehicles for transportation, like the literal vehicle for transportation, the car. The cars are falling apart. Yeah, so yeah. they can't even get out of this town reliably, even though they're right. able to make it to Mexico and back. But that's, you know, I think that's more of a thing to get them out of town so Sam the Lion can die. Can die. So let's talk about our three questions. Let's. So, Ethan, Matt. do you care about this movie? Yes, I do. Although I wouldn't have if I hadn't if it hadn't been on this list, uh, because I would have never heard of it and would never have watched it. So, I think it is a really good film, and I think it uh, examines some really interesting things, some things that I, you know, ponder myself as a strict nihilist. <laughs> But I, I do, I think it tackles these things really well. And I think it is very pretty to look at. Um, I think the acting is very good. It's got Jeff Bridges. This is true. You know, I, I overall, I, I cared about it. I liked it. So I'm going to jump up on my soapbox here. Okay, tell and me. And I'm going to talk about my expectations for films. The things I think yes. about that I want to have accomplished at the end of a film once I start it. Okay. And... I think there's two levels to that. There's what I expect from a film in general, and then there's what okay. I expect from a film particularly. So when I try to answer this question of do I care about this film, I think do we care about watching someone drown, or do we, do we like to watch car crashes? 
Like, what do we learn here? So when I see this, my expectation for a film is that I come away with something, I have wrestled with something, engaged with something, I walked away with something. What I kind of categorize this film as is more art in that I'm looking at complexity and I can appreciate the complexity, but I'm seeing a dying gasp of this town. I'm seeing the tail end of a history and I'm not, I don't get a resolution as such that I expect generally from a film, but I can say specifically for this film, I think what it sets out to do, which is just to capture, you know, the image of Billy sweeping dust around in a bottle. And I think it's successful on that front. So I'm sort of at odds with myself because this is not something I'd expect or want to expect from a film in general, but specifically this film, the last picture show, I think it succeeds on its own terms. Okay. So now that you've said all that, this is what I think this film is about. I think this film, the, the takeaway from this film, it's a, it's a eulogy for the small town in the, you know, in the 1970s, looking back and saying like there what was the small you know what was the the american you know uh rural thing this idea of pastoral america right mm-hmm. you know these small towns and texas right is the is the last it's the west right the like stereotypical west where you can go and found a tiny town and have a prosperous little little house on the prairie sort of thing. This is this is showing like this is the it, it, it is its dying gasp, right? It's lamenting the the loss of that. But there's not so much. So you you describe it as eulogetic, but I don't think it's quite that because it's very irreverent toward it, right? Like well, right. It's it's showing this is what it's this is what it's becoming. Yeah, it's it's, it's showing a decay and it's showing a corruption or a deviation of that American pastoral, as opposed to like here lies the American pastoral. It's like the grave of the American pastoral and two people fornicating on top of it. Well, and shouldn't we be? But but shouldn't we be sad about how that you know what what has happened to the American pastoral and the, Should the we? death of the small town? Should we? Well, I mean, I know. Okay. <laughs> angst, angst came to the big city during industrialization. We are uncomfortable with hordes of our own selves, right? We cannot. Other people are inscrutable to us. Only we can be understood by ourselves, and only that somewhat. But what does the small town give us? Okay, I hate small towns, but putting that aside, I mean that is something that is kind of sad that it is gone. I don't want to live there. So is this like certainly. a preservationist instinct in you? This is now this is now your therapy session. I just wanted you to know. I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily preservationist. It's just sort of like look at what what we've done. Look at what because when you think you know you think of the little house on the prairie, you know, America. You know, this is the sort of archetypal thing, and it's showing us that it doesn't. It just can't exist anymore. And so there's something sad about that. Again, I mean, I don't want to live. There. Yeah. So just anachronism <laughs> in modernity. I think is what we get. Yeah. Into. Okay. And there is there's something very you know modern or maybe maybe even postmodern. I don't know about it. Well, then that's the that actually leads us perfectly to the next question of does this hold up? Yes, I think so. But I think that it is filmed in a way so that it is meant to look older than it is. I mean, it does not look like something from 1971. Oh no, not at all. It looks like something filmed in the 40s. Or, or 50s, you know. It's filmed in black and white. But I, I, think it, I think it's beautiful filmmaking. And I don't think that it's... Because when you look at a lot of sort of older things, like from the 40s um, and 50s, you see these films that are staged like 
plays. Right. Um, where, you know, the, you have a room and the camera's in the middle of the, you know, pointing into the room and you've got all the people cheating out to the camera. It looks like it's, it looks like it's a play. Um, and a lot of them you could stage as a play. This is not like that. You can tell there's, there's all those super close-ups. Don't we, uh, they have that make-out scene with, between JC and the tall, dark guy that doesn't want her to be a virgin, right? Is that who she, where she kisses them? They do that, that close-up. Or I don't remember who it was. Anyway, they do, the, they do these sort of first-person close-up things. Um, there's lots of really interesting stuff going on. Um, these sort of sigh, shots where everybody's, like, sighing. And they're not actually sighing, but you want, you want them to sigh. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to say that this film holds up. Like, it just, yeah. it just simply does. It's pretty evident. Um, it encapsulates a part of American history. And, of course, when we're talking about does this film hold up, we're talking with a cultural reference point as Americans. Yes. And, yeah, I think very easily this holds up. Yes. So that brings us to our third and final question, which is what do we owe this movie? Okay, so this is what I think about, about that. Number 63, number 62 on our list on, Amer- on AFI's Top 100 films that we are trucking through is American Graffiti, which came out in 1973. I think that this film is, you could, it's almost a uh, prequel to American Graffiti. It's from, it's, you know, or maybe the small town version of American Graffiti, the, the Texas version of American Graffiti. I think, and there's just, they're so close in time and they're very different movies, but they're tackling the same general idea right it's high school kids finishing their senior year and i also think as maybe ridiculous as this is going to sound i think films like american pie might owe something to this film because they are in a different mode but it again is the same narrative right american pie is about a bunch of high school seniors um and there's a bunch of sex yeah no i don't think you're wrong i so i haven't seen american graffiti and so that reference point is lost to me and though I haven't seen American Pie either, I do know basically what it's about. God, have you seen any movies? Matt? No, this is the whole idea of the podcast. Remember, is that I'm like a complete neophyte to these 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 moving pictures, and the moving picture. But I do understand that, and so it seems like the trope of the angsty, but also I don't know if a better word than just fidgety, the fidgety high school. We all were that way in high school year, our senior year of high school, when you just want to get out so bad. You just want to be done with it. You want to get out, and it creates, like you chafe under the bridle of that authority, which is your parents, which is school, which is all of your obligations that are going to really, it seems to you, amount to nothing, and you're really just ready to take that next step. I think that is so inherently true about all of us that I think we owe each rendition of that. We owe that something. Yeah, I think so. And 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 in that vein, I'm not sure that this is the first teeny bopper, and it probably isn't the first. You know, like senior year of high school teens, where there's a lot of sex, dealing with loss, um, in whatever mode. But it is a particularly well done rendition um, that I think is really worth watching. I really enjoyed it. I was, I mean, I it had I was glued to the screen the entire film and some of the things we've watched so far i haven't been sort of uh enraptured is that a word enraptured yeah enraptured is definitely Um, a word enraptured in them but this one i i mean i and i yelled at the dog because she was barking through the movie and i was like you need to stop right now (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I think we... Oh, also, in this vein of things that we owe this movie, there is a great quote, and I wrote it down. Sam Alliance says, being crazy for a woman like her is always the right thing to do, which is, which is from that pivotal scene that we sampled Right, earlier. that also points to your theme about love being the thing that doesn't get old. Yes, but we owe this movie directly, or Kill Bill, Volume 2, Esteban Viejo says to the bride almost this exact same line it's some he says i think it's being a fool for a woman such as yourself is always the right thing to do and this is going to maybe lead us i was going to say did you just make like a super awesome segue yes i did because our next film is quentin tarantino's pulp fiction Yes, Pulp Fiction, a film I have not seen. Everyone, oh shock and awe and gasping, I'm sure. I'm Yeah. But that's going to be episode seven. This was episode six with number 95, The Last Picture Show. And like Ethan said, number 94 is Pulp Fiction. Is Pulp Fiction. But until then, I'm Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers! There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at Becca the Knight with a K. Or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off-week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud and review us, please. Thanks for listening. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? what? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? What? English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? This place? A coffee shop. What's wrong with that? Nobody ever robs restaurants. Why not? Bars. Liquor stores. Gas stations. You get your head blown off sticking up one of them. Restaurants, on the other hand, you catch with their pants down. They're not expecting to get robbed. Not as expecting anyway. I bet you could cut down on the hero factor in a place like this. Correct. Same as banks, these places are insured. Manager. <laughs> you don't give a fuck. He's just trying to get you out the door before you start plugging the diners. Waitress is fucking forgetting. No way they're taking a bullet for the register. Busboys, some wetback, getting paid $1.50 an hour. Really give a fuck? You're stealing from the owner? But you know the funniest thing about Europe is? What? It's a little different to each other. I mean, they got the same shit over there that they got here, but it's just, just there, it's a little different. Example. All right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup, I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? Oh, man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. What do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese.